Good morning. It's so uh, good to be together, our last Sunday of the year, and uh, it's been quite a year, I trust, for you. It has for me in many different ways, and all I know is I want to be better all the time, and I hope you do as well. Uh, Our church has changed this last year. Some of you are with us that weren't with us this time last year, and you're in Christ. You weren't in Christ a year ago, or you just moved here, and so we're a fresh church to you, and some are not with us this year. They've gone on to be with the Lord, and every year... Uh, brings a a different shift to people, but I trust that you desire to be better, and I certainly hope that we're going to keep getting better as a church all the time. Uh, Christ is coming back, and in in view of that, we want to do a better work for him all the time. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today, so go to you version or your Bibles, whatever you have with you, uh, so you can follow along. You can underline words and take notes in the the, uh, uh, margins or say, I don't agree with him right here, or whatever you want to say. You can, you can write that down. Because uh, we have been dealing with God coming to us and God being in us and God being with us and God being for us. And we close this series out with God working through us. He wants to do his work in the world through us. That's his divine choice to include us in the greatest work in the world. Lindsay Clegg was uh, uh, selling a property, and, you know, it was a warehouse, and it was a mess. It was, it was filled with crud. The windows were broken in. The doors were unhinged. And uh, a pr- prospective buyer came, and uh, he assured the buyer he was going to take care of all this if he chose to buy it. And the buyer says, really, you don't need to do a thing. I don't want the building. I want the sight. That's true for all of us who recognize our need for Jesus. When God steps into our life, he says, it's not, it's not, it's not any part of you I want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to raise you. I'm going to tear you down, and we're going to start rebuilding. We didn't come to Jesus to get remodeled or to get just a makeover or get a room addition. We needed to be changed through and through. And that's why we come to be born again, to have a fresh start. The old is gone, the new has come. Maybe you had a rough year, maybe you had a bad year, maybe spiritually you didn't do this that, that, that well. Maybe it was a great year, any other, any, any kinds of year you look, whatever it was, the old is now leaving us, the new is coming. And we want to be the best we can for the Lord. Now, in the second letter to the Corinthians... Paul must have had a lot of joy in writing because remember the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians, they were a mess. They were a messy church. They were messed up about worship. They were messed up about women's role in the church. They were messed up about, uh, they were very cliquish. They didn't handle the Lord's Supper right. And there, there was not one good thing about them. But God, Paul t- said, you're still the church. So he wrote him a letter. And this is the second letter. And they have done so much better. And they're healthier than they were before. And right now, in the context of chapter 5, he's been talking about the new bodies we're going to get one day. That we're not always going to be in the flesh. We're going to get, this body's going to be torn down. We're going to get a new body. And in that context, he starts with verse, we we pick up at verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out, out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. 
If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we have this challenge before us that Jesus has brought us to himself, but not only for our good, but for the good of people we're going to be doing life with, that we're going to be meet. He wants to do his work through us for the express purpose that he wants to increase the census of heaven. He wants to populate heaven. And until he comes, he is waiting for us to do more. To help people be ready for the coming of the Lord. Why? Paul gives us five motivations for absolutely engaging people in conversations so that we might help them know the Christ that we know. First of all, he speaks of our compulsion. Verse 9, we make it our goal to please him. Now, there is no higher goal that we should have in our lives to please him. I, I know that some of you may be here out of habit and routine. Maybe you're here to please somebody. But by and large, most of us want to be God pleasers. I believe that. And what pleases him is when we join him in the greatest work in the world. We just got done celebrating this great season of Christmas. When we talk about Christmas, we never do it outside the shadow of the cross. The manger and the cross are woven together. If you attend a church at Christmas that doesn't talk about the cross, that church doesn't really understand the manger. They are inextricably bound together. And so because of that, we have this We are reminded of why he came, why he sacrificed, why he lived the life he did, why he suffered abuse, why he was misunderstood and misquoted, why he endured his critics, what subjected him to the cross. Luke 19 says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In our context, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We want to please God. And what pleases him most, not only our desire to know him, but that we care about people that are lost. That's what really shows that we understand Christ coming, born of a virgin, growing to be a man, being in ministry, and sacrificing his life on the cross of Calvary. Now, I I don't know all of you. I don't know all of your names. I don't know your stories. I wish I did. You feel like you know me more than I know you because I'm talking to you all the time. And so is Luke. So you feel like you know us more than we know you. But I know if I were Perry Crossing and I looked a mess, well, 
I don't mean physically, but I mean I'm I'm I, you know I'm out I'm 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 rattled. You would come to me and say, "What's wrong? Has something happened?" Well, yeah, my, my grandson, my, my granddaughter, he was she was right here. Jada was right here. She's gone. I, I, I need help. You wouldn't say, "Oh, I'm not into that kind of thing." You wouldn't do that. You would say, what was she wearing? How tall is she? What does she look like? What color is she? You would do everything you could out of your respect or love for me to join me in that. Now, it's the same thing with God. He looks at his world and is filled with lost kids. And he says, will you help me get to them? I want you to do that. And so this is our compulsion because this is what pleases God is that we join him in the greatest work in the world to help people know the salvation that we know. It's a broken world. It's a messed up world. It's an ugly world. And Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. And we want to be his people doing well. The second motivation is our compensation. Verses 9 and 10, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, uh, Paul loved using the metaphor af- of athletics in, in his letters. He, he, he talks about this often. Here we have the scene of judgment seat. Judgment seat is bima. The bima was the judgment seat, the Olympic, uh, the, uh, the judgment stand or platform that the Olympic athletes uh, st- were, stood before when they were being judged uh, to make sure they were well prepared or they, 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 they did their feet, their athletic feet, in a right way and according to the rules. That's what the bema was. So Paul is borrowing that language to give us a picture that we all will stand before the judgment seat. Now, I know there are some believers who say, no, I don't believe that. Because when we're saved, we are not, we are not fall under the judgment of God. That is true. We don't fall under his, fall under his condemnation. We all know what a workbook is. Well, God has a workbook, and his workbook is all about what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. The Bible makes it clear, and we can't do a deep study of this right now, but there are many places where it talks about us all, all of us, even our text, we all will be before the judgment seat. And before the judgment seat, every sin we've ever committed will be exposed. Every hidden sin that we think's been covered up and nobody knows about, all that's going to be exposed. Every false motive, every good thing we've done is going to be there as well. Everything, nothing, everything's going to be laid bare. That's all in these, this book of works, this works book that God has, the Bible speaks about. And so before, before that, I mean, I dread that day, do you? I really, I'm going to ask you all to leave the room while, while he goes over my works book, all right? All that's going to be there. But praise God, there's a book of life. And for those who are trusted in the blood of Jesus, whatever is in that works book, no matter what it is, is going to be, is going to be just thrown out because we put our trust in the blood of Jesus and we will go on to our eternal reward. Praise God, right? What a great day that will be. Now, that's going to be true for everybody. And we don't want anybody to be exposed before the throne And then God opened the book of life. Hmm. Your name is not there. We want to carry that burden with us. That we don't want anybody to miss the grace of God. That's what Paul is talking about here. And I've heard some people say, man, I don't do it for the reward. Really? I do. And that's okay. Isn't it okay? Of course it's okay. 
God makes it clear that we will be rewarded. Jesus even said in, in Revelation 22, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. His reward is where he is, his position, as well as the people that he's redeemed. Uh, I, I, my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. And so we begin by being born again. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. We're resurrected to live a new kind of life. Jesus said, remember Matthew 6, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, usually we apply that to financial giving, and it's, it can be applied there. But it's applied to all of life. However we give ourselves in service to the Lord, is we, we, are, we are storing up our treasures in heaven. In other words, we have something to show for ourselves when we stand before the Lord in that works book, as well as the sins we've committed are going to be there. But praise God, nothing. I'll never do enough to gain heaven. That's why I need the book of life, the trust in the blood of Jesus. That's our compensation. The third motivation is our conviction. Verse 11 says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, and we do. There's a reverential fear that is spoken about, and that's hard to learn because when we think of fear, we think of this, this you know, ominous fear. And it is a reverential fear as you would respect someone above you at work that you highly respect or you're the patriarch of your family. It's that kind of fear that you want to, want to please them. Now, at the same time, there is a dreadful fear. The Hebrew writer says it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And it is because he's a perfect judge and he exercises perfect judgment for us. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, he says. We try to persuade others. Now, I know in the Christian community, there's people saying, you know, I don't think it's our role to persuade anybody. What? Of course we're to persuade people. By our lives, by our conversations, by what we know of Jesus, of how he makes us better, of the hope we have, of the peace we have, of the joy we have in the Lord, understanding why we were created, what our destination is. Of course we're to be persuaded. Don't you think our culture is trying to persuade us to their position? Of course they are. They're doing all they can to win us to their position that there is no truth. And they're doing it in a number of ways. But we have the place that we get to persuade them as well. That's a good thing. I'm off track. Where was I? <laughs> See, the bad thing about coming to 11, I get a lot wordier. You get a longer sermon because I get to say anything I want, you know? All right. <laughs> what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Now, so he talks here about, he's talking about this judgment and this wrath of God. And I know this is an unpopular topic, but I want to mention it anyway. Do you know that hell is real? And real people go there. Please understand that. Many people have a hard time understanding the context of the love of God. And there is a religion, universalism means, and many people believe this, that God will eventually save everyone. The Bible simply doesn't teach that. It teaches there are two destinations, heaven and hell. And real people go to each place based upon their surrendering to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus spoke of hell. And uh, it's not, now, it, if it's our chief motivation for obedience, then it's probably not going to last very long because a negative motivation like that just not going to play out well in life. 
but it is one. Jesus said in Mark 9, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die, where the fire is not quenched. Now, Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. I hope you understand that. He's simply saying, better to go to heaven as a maimed saint than to hell as a healthy sinner. That's all he's saying. And until we recognize that people are eternal beings, we're not going to be very good at engaging them in conversations. But not just that. It's just the, it's the abundant life we have in Christ. It's, 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 it's coming back to what we created for in this relationship with God. Some sailors said to their chaplain, do you believe in hell? He said, yeah, why do you ask? And they said, because if there is a hell and you don't believe in one, we don't want you as a chaplain. And if there isn't a hell, we don't need you anyway. (laughs) So, do you believe in hell? And the real people go there. We need to keep that in mind as we think about what God has asked us to do. And our compassion, that's what Paul mentions next, verses 13 and 14. If If we're out of our mind, well, some people say we are, right? You may have family members. You may have former friends. Or distant friends now that think you've lost your mind because they never thought you, of all people, would become a follower of Jesus. Oh, it is of God. If that's true, well, it's for God. If we're in a right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are, love, love for Christ. Love, Christ's love compels Christ's love for us or Christ's love in us? Well, maybe both. The way we've been loved and the way we must love. Out of how we've been loved. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Uh, we've been recreated. So when we go fishing, you know, we take a fish out of its environment that it's created for, and we take it out of that environment, and it dies. Jesus calls us to be fish, fishers of people. Why? Because the environment of this world is death since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And we fish people out of that environment to a life where they can thrive, a life of, thri- a life of fullness in the Lord. That's what we're doing. That's what we are all about. And I trust that you understand that more and more, that you love that more and more, and you want to be engaged in that more and more. And, and I tell you when, you, when you are instrumental in leading a person to Jesus, there is no greater joy you will ever know in your life than that. And on Christmas Eve, Ryan was baptized into Christ at our 5 o'clock service. I met, I met Ryan back on the North property at the party for the, uh, for, the, for the children's workers that night. And so we got to meet for coffee one day. And you know, it was a pretty ordinary day. But as soon as I met Ryan, who was ready to be, be born again in Christ, I mean, that's all I needed for the week. I mean, I was pumped. It just takes one person. And you are thrilled beyond, and your, your joy level goes. What would happen to our church if everybody here in 2020 was instrumental in getting one person to Jesus Christ? It would revolutionize our church inside and out. I truly believe that with all my heart. But we've got to take the word of God seriously, you know. Then the, finally, there's our commission. That's the last motivation. All this is from God, he says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There are a lot of broken families, aren't there? Maybe yours is. I talk to so many families, even our own church, where the grandparents are estranged from their grandkids. 
or grown children are estranged from their parents or siblings are estranged from one another. There's so much pain in that. God looks at his world and there's so much brokenness just between us and him. And he wants to bring healing and wholeness. So he gave us this ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting sins against them. In other words, he looked at our sinfulness and he didn't make that a reason for not to do anything about it. In fact, all the more he wanted to do something. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And an ambassador is the highest ranking diplomat of one country to another. And our country has about 200 of them. They're representing our country and other countries. Three things to note about ambassadors. First of all, as ambassadors, we live in a place, not our home. Now, we just got done studying 1 Peter, and that was the whole theme. We're strangers living in a place, not our home. Good ambassadors are sensitive to their culture where they're living. Now, sadly... The world around us knows more about what we're against than who we're for. And we will not healthfully make a mark in our culture until we learn to stop being condescending about our culture and naysayers about our culture. That doesn't help. And we want to point our fingers and talk about the evils of our culture. That's not our job. Our job is to engage people. And to become winsome. And people that people want to be around. Whether we're followers of Jesus or not. People that are easy to be around. And the only way we're going to do that is learn about our culture. And learn to engage in helpful ways. If you're traveling to another country to live or to work. Well you would find out about that culture. If you go to Afghanistan. Men never sit like that. Because the bottom of your foot is a, is a denouncement with the person you're sitting with. If you go to China, I think it is, you belch as a thank you to the hostess, right? You didn't know that, did you? Or maybe you did. I want to move to China sometimes, you know? <laughs> if I do it at the table, I just tell my grandkids, just pretend you're in China. Well, I'll be good. Um, there, there's lots of strange culture, uh, cultural differences, distinctions in our, in our world. We learn that. The same thing in our culture here. We learn about the arts, we learn from movies. We learn from music. We learn from, we learn from just trends and the economic. We learn from all of that about our culture. Why? So we can engage and we can be prepared. That we can, we can know how to build bridges with people. That's what it's about. It's about learning. That's, that's how we're reconcilers. As ambassadors also, we, we are official representatives of our king. We're always on duty representing our homeland and our president. We represent King Jesus, and we're always on duty. There's no room for sloppy, careless living. What we say, how we act, how we respond, how, how we speak with people matters. Paul wrote in Colossians 4, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be filled with, be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Peter wrote, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Sadly, Mahatma Gandhi one time said, 
I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many, Christ, so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. Are there people in your environment who would say the same of you and me? Let's be done with that. And third, as ambassadors, we deliver our king's message. Imagine an ambassador living in a country and never engaging with the people of that country. No, this is our embassy. It is not embassy suites. It's not for our comfort. It's not for us to enjoy one another. We do while we're here. But we are ha here to be reminded of what we are about and what we are to be doing in the name of Christ. And we leave this place. We go to a culture we are uncomfortable with. But we find ways to build bridges with people. You see, let, let, Congress will take care of our laws. The president will take care of our nation. Wall Street's going to take care of the economy. The athletes are going to take care of the Super Bowl and the World Series and the Stanley Cup and all the rest. Hollywood's going to take care of the entertainment. Nobody is going to take care of the human soul but us, God's church. And let's, so, let's be about the things that matter most. The Bible says in Proverbs, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. That's what we're out to do, to save lives. I know that some of you have never been personally responsible for leading a person to Jesus Christ. That's not the most shameful thing, because you can try. I mean, you can. I've talked to missionaries before, been in foreign countries for five years without winning anybody to Jesus, you know. Um, but it is shameful not to try. An old preacher, I think more than one preacher, used to put in the margins of their sermons occasionally, P-W-S-L, point weak, shout louder. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I think as the church, that's what we've done. We haven't understood much about our faith, and so we just shout louder. You know, which comes out condescending and harsh and, and cold and, and obnoxious. How many of you took a speech class? In okay, yeah, lots of you. So you remember Aristotle. Remember what he taught us? He taught us about logos and ethos and pathos. Logos is all about your thesis or the, the truth of what you are presenting, right? Eth eth ethos is about your ethics. In other words, about your credibility as a speaker. Is, are you a person I want to pay attention to, that I should listen to about whatever this subject is? The third was pathos. That's the passion with which a person speaks. That not only is it presented, not only are you believable, but you truly, deeply believe what you're saying. And any kind of sales pitch, those three have to be there. It's true as we are reconcilers of the world to Jesus. And that's our, you've heard our vision, impacting homes by opening arrows. Every part of it is answered in those three things Aristotle taught us centuries ago. There's logos. The truth is the word of God and who God is, who Jesus is. Equip you answers the logos part. We want you to be engaging in this online university teaching Engaging with one another in an online community about owning your faith and driving a deaver. That's the logos part. The ethos part is your personal credibility. That's why we want to be gathered in home groups. 
that we're not protecting our lives. We're not just appearing everything's okay here in the big assembly, but being closer together. We can be honest with our lives, our struggles, pray for each other, help each other be better. We're going to be loved through all the seasons of our lives, the courses, the avenues of our lives. We're going to drive more deeply down the messages from the Word of God. The path off says out of that will grow the depth of our passion for Jesus. Because when we're connected to one another and in truth, knowing our faith, the passion is going to deepen. And we're going to understand what we're really here for is to lay down our lives for the sake of the good news of Jesus that he came to save us. Not only to give us abundant life here, but to give us a life forever. Let's be a new church in 2020. Will you join me in that? I want to be a new preacher next year, a new minister, better husband, better grandfather and father. I want to be better in every area. I want our church to be better. I want us to close 2020 out the best we've ever been, the best year of our 190 years. It's our 190th year. So let's make it the best year we've ever had. And we can. All the possibilities here if we take Christ seriously and let him reign within us. Let's pray. There's none like you. And, oh, Father, I do pray that we will be your ambassadors, that we'll be increasingly convicted by your truth, that we'll be transformed by your spirit, and we will be compelled by your love to be your messengers you've commanded us to be, all for the glory of Christ. And then we pray. Amen.